You're listening to the Urban Warfare Project Podcast from the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Spencer, Chair of Urban Warfare Studies at MWI and host of this podcast. So today's topic on the podcast is smart cities, and our guest is Dr. Suku Rhee. Dr. Rhee is the Associate Director of Cyber Physical Systems Program at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is a part of the U.S. Department of Commerce. Dr. Rhee, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for inviting me. If you don't mind, I thought we'd start with what you do there at the National Institute of Standards and Technology and how you got into the business of smart cities. Absolutely. So first, National Institute of Standards and Technology is a bureau inside of a commerce department, the United States government. And as the name implies, we do a lot of standards and we do technology developments for measurement science and so on. And we cover a broad range of topics, including physical measurements and atomic clocks and even surprisingly peanut butter compositions. And one of the issues that we are looking into in terms of the standards and measurement science is the issue of smart cities. And it really came from the discussions about IoT, what we call Internet of Things, which is the concept of connecting devices and thermostats and so on. And that that expanded into a smart city discussion. And that's the context. And I am running a smart city program at Nest. And that's my bread and butter topics that I work on every day. Great. So let's start with the probably the big softball is what is a smart city? And can you give us examples of what a smart city might be? Sure. So John, that question is probably one of the easiest questions to answer, and at the same time, it's probably most toughest question to answer. So easiest way to look at look at it is the sparsity, it has a lot of different definitions. If you ask the question to 100 different people, you're going to probably get about 95 different answers. So it really comes down to how you look at the sparsity. And the example of the definition that I use is cities and communities using smart technologies such as IoT and cyber physical systems to improve quality of life for their residents. But this is just an example. Even at NIST, we do not necessarily have a single definition of a smart city, but that's pretty much a comprehensive definition that we use at NIST. Okay. Sounds simple to me, but I know just as an urban operations scholar, even the word city has a very complex definition and, and no, a lot of people don't agree on what classifies an urban area to become a city versus just a big urban area. And it gets really tricky. And I've seen some of your presentations on the topic before. And I, like you said, your smart city, bunch of definitions, even you explained how the internet of things has a bunch of definitions. And if you ask a bunch of people, you're going to get a bunch of different answers. Um, I do like your layering explanation. And I think that helped me personally understand a smart city when you talked about the different layers that make up this circular information flow of improving the quality of life. Can you talk about what, what consists of those layers that kind of help add to the definition of a smart city? Yeah, absolutely. So it, from the, this conversation, I can see that you are you are sort of a techie in that sense because because what what happens is when I when I talk about smart city with high level definition, that's typically enough for a lot of uh, general public. But when you talk to more of a technical 
folks who's engineers and technicians really understand, okay, what does exactly mean to be a smart city? I mean, what kind of technical components into it? So that question can be answered much better by using the layered structure of IoT, Internet Things, and how it can be related to cities. And that's easiest way, easiest way to uh, answer the question. So we talk about IoT, Internet of Things, many times, and there are a lot of different definitions on it. But really, there are four layers in IoT. The bottom layer is composed of physical systems. So when I say physical systems, it's something you can touch. Sensors and actuators, is uh, thermostats and chips, or even large devices like vehicles and even airplanes and drones. All these things that you can touch and feel, those are physical systems. That's one layer, which is what I call in the bottom layer of this IoT structure. On top of that, there is this communications layer, which means uh, you got to connect these things, uh, sensors and action. They got to be connected through Wi-Fi, cell network, and Bluetooth, or Zigbee, whatnot. And then when you connect these devices, that becomes a foundation of IoT. Now, there's important things to remember here. A lot of folks think that IoT really means these bottom two layers, meaning they just connect things then it becomes IoT. That's probably only half true or probably even less than half true because there are two more important layers on top of those two bottom layers. The layer on top of this communications layer is what we call data analytics layer. This is where you collect all the data from this communications layer and from the physical systems and then turn it into a uh, actionable and useful information. So a lot of people think that data is so important and that's like a new blood of the technical systems. I will say it's only half true because data itself is just ones and zeros. It doesn't really mean anything. The, The useful actions can happen only after you extract actionable information out of this uh, bunch of ones and zeros. And that's where this data analytics layer is so important about. And it is about the storing, it's about analyzing, it's about extracting useful and actionable data, uh, actionable information out of this data. Now, on top of that, there is, in my opinion, the most important layer of this four-layer structure, which is called the human and services layer. So this is where the decision is made and action is decided and action is determined. So what I mean by that is this. When you come up with information and data, and that's good, so you have now useful information out of this whole physical systems, but you know, what are you going to do with it? If you don't do anything with it, then at the end of the day, that's useless because there's no action taken. So at this top layer, either it's a human or sometimes automated service has to make a decision. It doesn't need to be a machine making decisions. And sometimes that's true. Like AI can make a decision immediately and then take an action. But sometimes this is like, let's say, command center of uh, emergency response system, then somebody, a person can look at all this data coming from disaster response areas and then make a decision to send more resources to uh, one region or the other. That's a decision. That's where decisions made to take an action. And this decision typically is activated or act- this action is implemented through the reverse order of this layer. So start from the human and service decision layer, come down to data analytics layer, and it comes down to communications layer, and actual action is taken at the physical systems layer. 
So if you look at it, it's really a feedback system. And also the information flow is not one directional. It's always two direct, it's almost a circular information flow. Now, once you apply this concept of these four layers, once you uh, overlay this concept of four layers onto a city or municipality, then it becomes a smart city. So uh, from technology perspective, that's the easiest way to understand what smart city is. And just want to uh, you know, tell you, also respond to your question, that there are so many different definitions of a city and urban area and so on. And we all have to understand what is a smart city, the part uh, we call city is really notional, meaning, you know, we are not really talking about just a metropolitan area, large cities like New York City or San Francisco and so on, although that's a big part of the ecosystem. But there are smaller cities and towns, and we don't even call them cities. Uh, there, are, there are small regions and tribal communities. And it doesn't matter whether it is a, uh, is a city of uh, 10 million population or the or whether it's a small town which is with only with a 4000 5000 population it is almost irrelevant it really comes down to the concept of how to improve the quality of life and using these smart technologies and obviously different cities may need to adopt the different approaches because every city is different but at the end of the day it's really what the smart is the important piece city is more of a notional word that we use yeah absolutely and actually, as a kind of urban, you know, things that catch my eye in your slide that you use that actually helps very easily visualize this layer system at the top of the slide says smart communities slash cities. And I think that's the important aspect of city has a definition, but all cities have communities within them. And that's the more human almost definition that anybody could use. It's about improving the quality of life in a community, which is can be very small or very, very large. Absolutely. So I, I think it's pretty easy to kind of visualize, if, especially if you're in this space, how the data, which I love your great point of people think that data is the, basically the, the currency of especially a technologically advanced society, but they're just zeros and ones. And if you're not, if somebody isn't analyzing the data, you just have a, a lot of data. You don't have information. You don't even have anything you can action. Great points. But I mean, we can all kind of put our sci-fi hat on and say, especially in these communities where there's lots of data, there's cell phone data, there's traffic data, there's essential services data, there's all kinds of data if somebody used it. What are some good examples or what are the benefits of a community being smart or there being a smart city initiative going on? So uh, obviously there are a lot of examples uh, like traffic congestion management. Just think about when you're in a relatively large city and most of the large cities I know have some kind of traffic congestion problem. And then there are obviously many different ways to deal with it. One way to deal with it is collect real-time data from their traffic signals or traffic sensors uh, spread around the city and figure out how to dynamically adjust the, the flow or the traffic signals of the city. And you may think that's that's easy, relatively easy thing to do. Yes, if you have only 10 traffic intersections, then it's easy thing to do. When you have a 200 intersections in the city, it becomes a fairly complex uh, multivariable problem. 
in terms of optimization. And, and at the same time, this is time variant issue, meaning that it changes over time. It's not a static system. So if you collect all this data, when you collect data, it's really ones and zeros. It really says that, okay, there are more vehicles on this side of the city. There are cars are running faster on this side of the city, and there are more cars in this intersection and so on. And you need to analyze it holistically and then make a decision. How are you going to change the traffic signals or patterns in the city? That's one great example of how using the data and converting into actionable information and taking actual action out of it is going to be a great thing to do. Um, secondly, disaster response. And one of the projects that I uh, work with, uh, that's actually Virginia Beach in, in, um, in Virginia. And, and what they have been uh, piloting is a... Uh, as a uh, water level sensor. So Virginia Beach is, as you, you may already know, uh, suffers from flooding uh, from time to time. It, 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 it floods. And that flooding does not necessarily cost by, let's say, a historic storm or anything. And it just rains. And then sometimes, uh, because of local weather, uh, some one street gets flooded fairly quickly in a matter of hours. And the problem there is these things happen so fast that this, uh, this more of a macroscopic weather forecast cannot really capture uh, that kind of incident. So what they did was pretty simple. They just uh, uh, deployed a, a number of the flood sensor, water level sensors here and there, and they bring all this data, real-time data, up to the cloud. And they have a, a very interesting analytics engine, and they can predict, well, prediction is not always perfect, but they can get certain level prediction in the matter of hours and, and uh, that which, which street, which part of the city we're going to be flooded. And that pilot was fairly successful. Uh, and I believe they're, they're, they have uh, you know, benefited from that system. So that those are two examples and uh, out of hundreds and hundreds of different examples that this data information and taking action based on that is going to uh, provide a real benefit to cities. Yeah, I love that flooding example, actually, especially as a lot of my show is about the future predictions of problems in areas, not just combat, but you know, national disasters, natural disasters. And as more and more of our cities are growing in their in littoral zones, most large cities are on littoral zones, and how susceptible they are to the global climate change and national disasters. And so, the question on that though is: sometimes when you we envision smart cities, we we think about using the data that's there. But sometimes this is a smart city initiative may be creating data because you talked about inserting these sensors. So you almost need that one layer. So you're inserting that new data point to achieve the service you want. Oh, yeah. So the cities have a lot of data already. However, in many cases, they are not adequate. It's because if you want to analyze the data for new applications, for new purpose, then you always find gaps in the existing data sets or available data sets. So it's absolutely critical to invest in the physical systems. Uh, I I broadly mention as uh, it as a physical system because it's not just sensors. I mean, it cannot just be the sensors are a big part of it, like water sensors. and But at the same time, the vehicles that's running around or even drones that uh, that's being used, those are 
you know, in some sense, physical systems, and you can gather data and take action on it. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, initially, long time ago, uh, misunderstood IoT as just a physical system. They thought, okay, let's just throw out tons of sensors and see how it goes. And now, uh, what is interesting thing is, I mean, last late last few years. Uh, after people realized that IoT is not just the sensors and, and physical systems, now the whole pendulum uh, moved to the completely the other end of the spectrum and say, let's just do data. And that's, that's data, as I, I, in some sense, a, a, a good move. But at the same time, I see that uh, now a lot of people are uh, paying less attention to the importance of physical systems, just like you said. Um, so it, it has to be balanced. So you cannot have just one and then expect a whole IoT uh, system or ecosystem. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, be developed. So uh, you're absolutely right. These sensors and actuators, those are the foundations of IoT. So it's extremely important. Yeah. So that actually points me to. So I want to back up a little bit about who's in the business of saying a city is smart or is it a volunteer system? So. Is, is that what NIST does? Is, do you classify, hey, that's a smart city? <laughs> okay. So the reason I'm laughing is because I get this question all the time. So what is a smart city? And can you define smart city? Can you classify a smart city? Can you measure a smart city? So the short answer to that is uh, no one can, and I don't think... Personally, I don't think it, no one single organization can classify a city as smart because every city is different. And even the notion of smartness is different from one city to another. And that's that's completely acceptable. And frankly, I, I encourage cities to think of the smartness in the context of their own city. So the answer is NIST does not classify a city as smart. However, that does not prevent uh, organizations like NIST to develop tools and methodologies to help cities to measure uh, the the progress they make on the smart city. So uh, you know there there are even efforts on on trying to come up with uh, consensus based standards on what that means. And sometimes you start with a very simple. Uh, key uh, key performance indicators, what you call KPIs, things like uh, what is the uh, number of sensors that you deploy, how many Wi-Fi hotspots do we have in the city, how many uh, uh, the uh, the smart uh, traffic control systems do you have in the city. I mean, that, those are more of a tangible and easy number to count. But then there is more of an intangible uh, metrics that you have to think about. So are citizens happy? Uh, what is the privacy impl implication? Are they, you know, you have a bunch of sensors in your city. Does it mean that it's going to actually improve the quality of life? Does it uh, improve the service quality that municipalities provide? So those are more of an intangible and more of a qualitative indicator. So the, I, I know I'm not really giving you any answer uh, that, there's a simple answer to whether that's a smart city or not, but there are various indicators that research communities are developing, and I don't expect to have one single metric. That's probably not going to be true uh, in any time in the near future. 
but uh, if you are a city, you can always find a your own uh, your own definition uh, which fits into their city. And you can always define metrics that you can measure your own progress. And uh, organizations like NIST or other research communities can provide tools to help them to make that happen. Yeah, I'm not going to give you all easy questions, but there is a, a website and I think it's, I don't know if it's NIST, but there was a website that you referenced in one of your talks and I went to it and there was a list of smart cities and really just people that have opted into this smart city community that has meetings and things like that. Is that correct? Yes. I believe you are referring to the program I'm running in NIST. Yes. So I went to this website and both normal cities that I would think that are classified or in this community of smart cities. And there are some that, wow, I, I would never think that in, in Nepal, there's a, a city that's opted into this conversation about increasing this whole idea of improving the quality of life through the Internet of Things. Where are the world's smart cities? Is it literally just everywhere? Absolutely. Well, that that's amazing. That's actually a good question, but at the same time, important question. So the... It's everywhere. I can tell you that. So uh, you mentioned it, uh, you know, correctly. Uh, there are cities like New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, those large cities, and not just in the United States, in Europe and Asia and everywhere that invest a lot of money, a lot of money to install and deploy these smart systems with a goal to improve the quality of life and service quality of their municipality operation. However, and those are sort of no-brainer. You can sort of say there are smart solutions here. There are small cities, which you probably have seen in cities and towns of a population of 5,000, 4,000, which is a very small budget. But still, they plan and implement those smart projects. You know, the easiest way to think about is, for example, cities with gunshot detection and cities cities that is installing the sensors and drones that, that can help public safety measures. So, and that's what I meant by say large cities and small cities or any side of cities can become a smart city or a smart community. As long as they find the right projects, they understand where to start with it. So the answer is, it's everywhere. Now, there's a caveat there. Even if it is everywhere, it doesn't mean that I know every one of them or even one single entity knows every one of them. Obviously, there are companies out there that do survey. But if you look at those surveys, they all have their own metric of how you define smart city. And the metric itself is vastly different from one analysis to the another analysis. So... My way to look at it is, it's more of a self-announcement of whether they are actually working on smart cities. And the way that I look at it is, is city government, or when I say city, I'm talking about, it doesn't need to be a large city, it can be a tribal community. Is the community jurisdiction involved in such an initiative? And is there emerging technologies like IoT and smart uh, technologies involved? And is it is it done by uh, you know collaboration, uh, not just by a single entity, but collaboration between multiple multiple entities? And if those requirements are met, and then if that project delivers a real improvement in the quality of life, then that's a smart city. So. Yeah, you probably have seen the map that we have on the on the website is everywhere in the world. I also know from your conversations, like you just said, it's almost an opt-in sharing of information. So your, my next question, of course, was where are smart cities not being developed around the world or where are they not being tracked, which I think is kind of the more military kind of question, I think. 
Yeah. And actually, that's an important question, uh, especially for the military audience. As you as you know, NIST is a uh, uh, you know we we develop standards, and standards uh, have to be developed voluntarily. At least that's how uh, that's how we see it. As a philosophy of the U.S. government in terms of standard, it has to be uh, industry-led, consensus-based standards. Uh, which has to be voluntary uh, participation from the beginning. So, well, one way to look do uh, analysis is obviously you can you can do more of a comprehensive or you can set up a KPI or metric and you can just look at the whole world. Uh, I would say that's probably not very effective way to do uh, do that. What how we do it at NIST is we simply say here is a program called the Global City Teams Challenge. That's essentially information sharing and collaboration program. And if you are willing to uh, be open about your project, if you are willing to share your accomplishment with others, and so that others can learn from each other and replicate their success and identify best practices among them, please come to us and we're going to help you to make your case to replicate your success and have your success be known to others. So it's a complete voluntary participation. And as you can imagine, some cities or even some countries uh, may not, you know, because of a lot of different reasons, may not be willing to uh, participate in, in, in those kind of open uh, communities uh, to share information. So uh, if you look at what I uh, what I have is obviously United States because you know this is a U.S. agency. About sixty percent of the cities and projects participating in my project, or uh, you know you can say it's a tracked projects, are in the United States. And the other forty percent, uh, I'll say twenty five percent are in Europe. And about 15% are in Asia and Australia and Africa. Now, we've we got to be very careful about this, uh, this classification here because, as I said, these are all voluntary uh, announcement. And in, in my program, which is run by U- United States government uh, agency, so it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that uh, right now uh, in our program, China has a, a very small footprint, uh, if any. Uh, doesn't mean that there's no project in China. It's completely not natural. I mean, if you see other analysis about the way that China is doing smart cities, is is sometimes mind-blogging. So the list of the cities in my program uh, is completely voluntary and probably is a good survey on the United States and Europe and some part of Asia. Yeah, and I kind of not saying I knew that going in, but getting to the point that there are some countries that may not want to share. And I think even as a not a guy, you know, this is not my specialty, but I have done some research with urban planning, city plan managers, and the huge amounts of money some cities invest in different projects. But as you have done, is created this global community where lessons can be learned on. So if you have this amount of money and you want to make investments and improve this amount of quality of life, Here's a perfect example of somebody that just did it and the lessons they learned. The military is huge about sharing and lessons learned, learning how to manage and use the data within these large urban areas for the betterment of that community, but everybody's communities. Absolutely. And think about it. And every city is trying to improve their own city. And then uh, what what you're going to agree with this, and not just you, probably everybody agree with this. 
because every city has their own government and, or, and own jurisdictions and their own way of doing things. And because every city is different, cities are very much siloed in terms of developing smart solutions. So uh, I talked about the trans, tra, uh, traffic congestion management system, right? Virtually every city in the world, large city in the world, have that problem. And if you go to each of them, virtually every one of them uh, is developing their own traffic uh, you know, uh, con congestion management system. And by the way, they invest a lot of money in each one of them, and they develop their own homegrown solution. In the end, if you if you compare what they've developed, the, I would say they're more or less the same eventually. So from a, uh, a standard guy like me, or more of a uh, emerging technology innovation guy like me, I was like, I mean, why did you reinvent a wheel? Why didn't you just learn from what one city did and replicate their success in another city? So that's the whole point. And 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 another reason is this, and that is uh, obviously uh, it's going to create more collaboration between cities and uh, use the city's resources more efficiently. But at the same time, look at it from industry's perspective. No company wants to develop a solution just for one single customer. That's not how you grow your business. Your model, their model, is that they come up with a product or service and you want thousands and millions of customers to use that solution. That's the whole point. If every city developed their own solution, a custom tailored silo solution, this industry, we're going to never grow. So you're going to never come up with the economies of scale that's going to attract investment from uh, industry. So, so the whole point is, let's figure out what works for large number of cities and communities. Because there are a lot of problems that cities and communities are sharing today. And it's not like a, the, there's a traffic congestion is a unique problem for one city. So... Uh, you can come up with a baseline, a foundation that can solve about 70% of, of the problem. And every city is different. Traffic congestion is different uh, city by city. So let's build that 30% of the custom tailored tweaks on top of this 70% of the foundation that everybody can share. If that happens, it's much better than developing everything from scratch. So that's really the whole point. That's about the collaboration and sharing and replication. Yeah, I love this topic. There's a PhD that I, a student actually, that I heard on another podcast who PhD is going around the large municipalities and talking with them about the investments that they make to address their city's problems and the failures of investments. And they're all trying to do the right thing, but they're listening to different audiences on what is a solution to their problems, which are very specific to the city they live in. But everything from misapplying crime prevention tactics that worked in one community to another to what we're talking about now, which is the investment of either data analytics, artificial intelligence, or new sensors to improve that city's or that community's problems. Traffic congestion is one, and I just got back from Mumbai last year. They could definitely use some traffic congestion help, but it's a decision by their governments to invest in that, that bottom layer or the in, at least the infrastructure layer of this equation. Yes, and you're absolutely right. And government has their own reasons. In many cases, security and privacy is one of the reasons. But at the end of the day, what you're saying is, okay, uh, let's share what we can share and let's build custom solutions if we need to on top of what we can share. 
And I don't want to go past the question of what countries aren't sharing information, and that's fine. That's a decision for many political reasons, and we talk about that a lot on my show. I think I saw one of your presentations where another person got up and talked about China's investments in smart cities that just don't share the information, like $80 billion that they're spending, and many of their communities are advancing in that. And that's fine. I understand why they might not be sharing that information, but globally, how much that could affect just the betterment of human societies and communities in general. Right. So there are two reasons that some of the cities are not captured uh, in, in, in my program. One is obviously some cities and countries are reluctant to share their experience. But the other one is uh, they just don't know about this program. They haven't heard about this program because of geographical distance or uh, difference of, uh, you know, the communication mechanism and so on. But let's, uh, I, I, you know, China is 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 an important player in smart city landscape. And here's why. In my program, we did not capture much of the Chinese activity. But if you look at other reports and the activities that is uh, being being discussed in China, that there's just a lot of investment. And Asia, especially China, focuses very much on top-down approach. So when, when you do smart city, there are two different approaches. One is more of a bottom-up approach. There is a top-down approach. Bottom-up approach means each city takes the lead and each community takes the lead. And we essentially create a grassroots innovation capacity and they all come together eventually to create this big, big economy and big replication of the successes. That's what United States focus on right now. Asia is very different. They, they are very much top-down. The way they typically do it is the central government carve out a budget and billions and billions of dollars of budget. And they literally you know, throw the money onto the cities. Uh, they essentially bankroll these uh, development in the cities. There's a pros and cons, and uh, you know, top down is fast because and you have a little, you have resources from the beginning, beginning the funding was at the beginning, so things move fast. Companies are happy to get into business with them right away. Bottom up is slow. It's very, I would say, democratic process, uh, for lack of better words. It, it just takes time, and sometimes there are a lot of try and errors. But in the end, the outcome, I believe, is much more tested and much more stable and reliable. That, that's how my belief is. Now, according to some reports, and the reports varies, uh, China, obviously, is uh, very much a top-down approach. Their government investment uh, ranges somewhere between $80 billion to $130 billion. Uh, and, and that's like mind-boggling from the perspective of my, my perspective that, that our role in the U.S. federal government is mostly about uh, the encouraging the collaboration and facilitating the collaboration. Uh, but because of that, I can see, I see actually that a lot of cities in China are moving really, really fast. And to some extent, uh, that's, uh, you know, you know, to some extent uh, that that's, I'm seeing that like, you know, that there's so much money flowing in, in smart city area in China and actually deploying these solutions and making progress. Um, so I, what I can tell you is there are countries uh, that are spending a lot of money, uh, and moving fast on smart cities and communities area that, uh, in my program, were not able to capture effectively. 
it makes perfect sense to me. And I love the the examples of different models. And that also makes sense to me is especially the bottom up or the mixture, even in the Europe countries where it's an evolution of in addition and when resources are available and I can see how it gets really complicated. But it does lead me to that question of, so based on NIST especially, what are some of the common issues in the development of smart cities that you see? Yeah. So again, I already talked about the lack of a collaboration is a big problem. And to some extent, that's not just a technology problem. That's a structural problem because cities are not used to working together. The structure of the city and not just the city technology, but whole structure is, is, is a government. So you have, a, you have the mayor's office or the equivalent of the mayor's office and all these departments uh, report to the mayor. Now, you have the same structure in another city. And unless there is a political will from the mayors to collaborate at the technology level or the department level is extremely hard to do anything together. And that's what is causing a lot of these uh, you know, siloed and custom tailored solutions. That's really common biggest problem in smart city landscape, hands down. And secondly, obviously, you know, we all talk about funding issues and, and that's especially a big issue for municipalities, uh, you know, the communities and all that, because inherently cities are not designed to try new things and then, you know, take risk on it. And that's not how the taxpayers' dollars are supposed to be spent. You, you should not use taxpayers' dollars say, oh, we're going to give it a shot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It, it shouldn't be that way. But because of that, it almost slows down the progress in terms of the smart city deployment and even the development and trial of new new solutions. And even the industry players that wants to play in that field, having a hard time where to begin because they're not, you know, we call smart city market. But it's not exactly a single market as of right now because of the lack of collaboration, lack of common sharing. Each city is a market. And you can say there are, I will say, about 19,000 jurisdictions in the United States, including cities and tribal communities and all, all those. You have 19,000 different markets. That's not a good thing to have from Makes a lot of sense. I especially, I actually, my last podcast was interviewing the chief of police in our local city just to understand urban policing. And we talked about a lot of those investments and technologies and just everything from the shot detectors that you mentioned to, but it is a, like you said, it's a, it's a a political decision. The mayor and the citizens and the city council make these type of decisions on where to invest in the more information you have, the better. So I get that. So one of my last questions, and I'm sure you assumed this was coming, would be from a military operations in urban areas, not just combat, but what would you say are some of the implications, concerns, advantages, disadvantages of these smart communities in you know, when a military is deployed to a situation? And it doesn't have to be combat. It can be post post-conflict situations, disaster response situations. I mean, there have to be some huge advantages, but also some huge things to, hey, you might want to think about this. That's actually a very important question. It really comes down to infrastructure, okay? So what I mean by that is, what you're talking about is now new generation of infrastructure. Previously, when you talk about infrastructure, it was about bridges. It was about concrete buildings, and that was infrastructure. So it doesn't, it, it just sits there. It, it doesn't, also military perspective, when you operate in a city or in any, any, any region, then 
you really need to just look at the map and then figure out how you're going to deploy and do things. Now, all this infrastructure in smart city will be talking to each other. They are not just sitting there. They act, they collect data, and they act on the decision. So suddenly, you need a completely a separate set of virtual map that you need to understand how this the whole city as a system operates. So that's a completely different question. And I know this sounds pretty abstract, but I'll give an example. So about 30 years ago, DARPA, which you obviously know, started what they call smart dust project, meaning the whole point was if you go to a uh, you know battlefield, you really don't know what's in there. So you, you don't really just want to send your troops in there without knowing what's in there. So the idea is send a chopper with a bunch of sensors on it, small sensors. And this chopper, we're going to just spread the sensor around the region. And when the sensors uh, land on the ground, then they're going to connect uh, what we call ad hoc network. And they just communicate each other. And they basically send all the information about the field to the central command before they send in the troops. So when, before you send in the troops, they know exactly what they're dealing with, which area is more, has either as a, a mine or if it has a sort of higher temperature or, or all that. Now, in smart city, you're going to already have those sensors. It's just that you may not operate those sensors. It may be operated by your enemy or by operated by city, uh, these, the city, the operation center or whatever. So... At the end of the day, you got to think of a complete different warfare, not just as physically uh, dealing with the infrastructure. Now, you have to think about how to deal with this information, uh, a physical uh, infrastructure plus this information infrastructure all combined as I explained the four layers of structure. So again, I'm not a military expert. If I were a military expert, I'm going to start thinking about how we're going to deal with it. Uh, are we going to be able to come up with a like map, physical map like that for this kind of uh, smart infrastructure? Because you're going to have to deal with it because the infrastructure will not going to just sit there. They're going to sense data and act on the data. So that's going to be an interesting implication. I don't have a lot of answers on that, but that will be an issue. It's like music to my ears, especially the, the city as a system. And I talk a lot about understanding the city versus understanding the mission in the city. And talking to you, and I think that's one of the challenges is you know, each one of these systems have a vast array of different information infrastructure, but how do you quickly gain what we call situational awareness of what is available in this city that may have smart aspects to it or have this information infrastructure already there? How do you quickly know what's available to be used or not used? Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a million dollar question, and all I can say is first, you gotta as a military, you you have to understand, you have to have an expertise about how smart city operates, and it's a hugely broad area. Meaning, when we just say smart cities or smart communities in two words, but that includes virtually every emerging technology that you can think of, AI. IoT and big data and uh, smart sensors and uh, vehicles, uh, drones and all that. So you you need to almost have an understanding, almost like uh, someone who understands all these built-in environments in the city. And I'm sure military has a lot of expertise on built-in environments because if you want to 
operate in the city, you got to know about it. Same thing. You got to understand what, how this operates. And I don't have any single answer, but what I can tell you is this will be, become more and more important. Whoever has an advantage on this uh, smart understanding, I think it will have an edge on it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we talk about that a lot on my show about that absence of expertise within the military. It doesn't necessarily have to grow the expertise, but you have to know who the experts are. As I think about smart cities with my own military viewpoint, I, there's so much there that we don't understand or that will come into play for any operation, especially disaster response, but any operation. everything. And I've seen a few like war games where the data, the data analytics center, if a city had one, would be a almost protected or key piece of terrain because of this information aspect of the city is so important. Or you know, is the city manager a key individual that because you not only need to know what's there, but who knows about how to use these systems. And it starts to unravel as you try to understand what you're talking about. This I haven't ever seen, but I would love to see a virtual or a new type of map that isn't just about the 2D. I talk a lot about you know, understanding the underground, but if you layer in our geospatial experts, layer all these layers of understanding the city as an environment, I don't know of too many people that are really in this space of understanding the the smartness of the city, the information, the, the number of sensors and all of that that can be used, whatever the military mission is. Yeah. So, it, you know, at the end of the day, military doesn't, I don't think military doesn't need to be experts on everything, as you, you're exactly right. Uh, but they need to find where the expertise are. And coming up with a plan or action plan is is what military needs to do, because no smart city expert can generate that kind of action plan because that's, that's not their expertise is smart city experts are a bunch of techies we know how to operate things and how this system works but we don't know how you know military is and, and that's not our field but you're absolutely right i think there needs to be more coordination or more collaboration or communication at least between smart city even agencies in the united states government that work on smart cities and then you know military can come up with their own plan just like you do all the time. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's one of the reasons I have this show is just to bring on experts like you and to gain, even for myself, more understanding. I mean, just some of the projects that you listed in the previous, in your some of your previous were mind-blowing to me, The especially the one about water distribution. And it's in the United States, but as I look at the world and look at water scarcity and potable water issues and how your explanation of how smart flow sensors were used to I mean, that was mind-blowing, actually. And that's very easy concept to understand. I mean, you're losing about 30% of the water in during distribution every day, every second. 30% is a huge amount of water. Think about it. And you, if you can just identify where the major leak is and you just fix them up, maybe you're not going to be able to get rid of all those 30% leak. Maybe if you get rid of only 10% out of it or 20% out of it, that's a huge amount of water. Yeah. And then the other, I, I agree, especially if you live in a in a community, if we look at globally where water becomes literally the, the agitator to conflict in some areas. But the other one that, that kind of was mind blowing to me that you gave the example of how Smart cities, smart communities can be of assistance in evacuation. I mean, your story about doing the polls of who a community listens to for if you were to try to evacuate a city, and I loved it. I mean, but the, they're not going to listen to their neighbors. And, and we've done this actually in major combat situations where you're trying to protect 
populations and get them out of the combat area, but how smart technologies have been used in disaster responses to communicate to the citizens and actually communicate through people that they will listen to. So Dr. Ria, I think I'll end it there. A huge topic with so much potential and I'm a big fan. I, I was before, but now even a bigger fan of your work at NIST and the global community sharing this information to improve our societies, our you know, the human evolution almost. Really appreciate your time. All right, thank you, John. I mean, this was really fun. And I really hope that, again, this uh, when you talk about smart citizen communities, this is about our quality of life, everybody's quality of life. And if technology, I'm a technologist, if technology can help improve the quality of life, and not just for this generation, for even for next generation, and it will be also for next generation, because cities do not disappear in few years, you have to build a city, when you're doing city infrastructure, smart infrastructure, it has to be built for 50, 100 years. So this is a long game, and then that's how we have to look at it. And I'm hoping that this podcast, the conversation with you, can help a lot of people understand what that is. I think it absolutely will. Again, thanks a lot. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to the Urban Warfare Project podcast. The podcast is produced by the Modern War Institute at West Point. What you hear in each episode are the views of their participants and do not represent the positions of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. You can subscribe to the Urban Warfare Project podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to check out NDY's other podcasts, as well as the new articles we're publishing every day on our website. Thanks again for listening.